Welcome, Rams fans, to the latest episode of the 11 Personnel Podcast on The Athletic Podcast Network. I am Rich Hammond, Rams beat writer for The Athletic, joined by Jake Reiner of CBS2 Los Angeles. And we are into the offseason, Rams fans, and we did not ease into it, that's for sure. Any thought that this might be a quiet uh, month of January or kind of a little bit of downtime? Nope, didn't happen because uh, just yesterday the Rams announced that Wade Phillips, defensive coordinator for the last three years, will not return in 2020. You can get technical with the term. Some people say fired. Some people say let go. Uh, Technically, his contract had expired as soon as that last game ended. So you can't really say he was fired, uh, just that his contract is not being renewed. Nonetheless, uh, a very notable move. And the Rams also did fire running backs coach Skip Pete a move that I think was much more of a surprise. We'll get into both of these later on. Skip was uh, one of the, I believe, two only holdovers after Jeff Fisher was fired uh, that Sean McVay chose to bring back and, and, of course, had been with the Rams for the past three seasons as well. So interesting moves. And, uh, Jake, what do you think? We were not totally surprised by this, at least the Wade Phillips, because Reports had come out late in the season that it was something that Sean McVay was considering, uh, but it's going to be controversial. People are already expressing a lot of opinions, uh, some great stuff uh, in in our discussion topic on The Athletic yesterday, but uh, Jake, was, so we, we weren't surprised, but, but when it hit your ears for the first time or when you saw it on Twitter, what was your uh, initial reaction? I'm not surprised in the sense that you know, it was a possibility that it could happen, but I am surprised that it actually did happen. I and I'm and I'm super happy that we didn't record the podcast yesterday yes. because it would have been completely obsolete by the time uh, we put it all together. So I'm glad we waited a day to talk about this. Not that we knew that this was coming, but that you know, just happenstance. It just happened that way. Um, I am surprised that it it happened because I. I thought that they should have kept Wade Phillips. I'm of the mind that, you know, one bad season should not dictate a flurry of offseason moves. You know, a lot of fans were talking about gutting the team. I'm I'm not in that camp. I don't I think the what what the Rams lacked this season was consistency. And to keep that consistency consistency intact. I, I, I wanted to see Wade Phillips be brought back. I'd like to see John Fossil be brought back. I, I want to see this core of coaches intact and keep the offensive line, you know, relatively the same, you know, by maybe adding a few pieces here and there. So honestly, I, I didn't think that this team was, uh, so, f- so far away from making the playoffs. They actually were pretty close. And, and if, and, and if, you know, Greg Zerline makes that kick in, uh, in Seattle during the beginning of the season, the Rams would, would be in the playoffs, no doubt about that. Cause if they tied the Vikings, then, you know, they would be the tiebreaker team and they'd be in the playoffs. So I, because they weren't that far away from, from making the playoffs, I didn't think that they should be gutting the whole, you know, coaching staff. Um, I think that the players really liked Wade Phillips. <clears throat> it was evident 
in the locker room when we were talking to them after the final game. It's evident now that the players have come out on, on social media. Even the offensive players like Cooper Cup were saying how much they appreciated uh, Wade Phillips, how much they liked him. Um, I, I think he was good for Sean McVay, too, uh, certainly as Sean McVay became a new head coach in the NFL. But still, I, I, I still thought he brought value. He even said on Twitter yesterday, I'm talking about Wade Phillips, that he would like to continue coaching. So this wasn't about him retiring, so to speak, or him not wanting to be there. It just it's just sort of a head scratcher to me. Obviously, the the Rams had a few clunkers uh, that we talked about that that Wade Phillips uh, talked about and and used that phrase. And they had a couple of uh, head scratching uh, games, like the at the end of the 49ers game, where the defense kind of had a, a breakdown. But I didn't think that the defense was the problem this year. I thought that they were. Uh, one of the bright spots of the season, and and it's what kept the Rams in in it for as long as <clears throat> excuse me. The defense is what kept the Rams in it basically throughout the season and down the stretch. So it, it sort of it sort of didn't really make sense to me on that end of it. And then also Wade Phillips dealt with a lot of injuries, a lot of change and trades. You know, he lost Marcus Peters. He had to change kind of the way he was approaching it when they added Jalen Ramsey. There were a ton of injuries. So I felt that Wade Phillips weathered that storm a lot better than most this season. So the the decision to not bring him back, I, I didn't I don't necessarily agree with. But I want to pose this to you, Rich, because I, I think you could probably touch on this and maybe give some clarity on it from your perspective. But what what do you think this these moves mean? Uh, firing Wade Phillips, fire uh, not firing, but letting Wade Phillips go, firing Skip Pete. What what do you think those moves mean? Does does it signal sort of a a feeling that the Rams thought that that the defense was <clears throat> needed to be improved, or did they feel that getting rid of the running backs coach was in somehow a way of saying we're going to stick with Todd Gurley? We got to find a coach that that will help Todd Gurley get back on track. What do you think these moves ultimately mean? I think it means a little of both of those things, but but I also think um, in talking to some people yesterday that it's also a little bit about the evolution of the coaching staff. Uh, and you look at it in hindsight and feel kind of dumb about this as, as a reporter because it should have probably been more obvious at the time, but we knew uh, assistant coach contracts usually are not reported. It's very hard to figure out how long an assistant is under contract for usually. But we knew because Wade Phillips was such a high profile hire, we knew he had a three-year contract uh, when he was hired in 2017. And we also hadn't heard anything about an extension. So it was pretty clear that he was going to be a quote-unquote free agent after this season. And the fact that he did not get an extension after last season when the Rams did take care of Sean McVay, when they did take care of Les Snead, and they didn't take care of Wade Phillips, in hindsight, that should have raised kind of a red flag among all of us that, hmm, I wonder why not. Uh, so I say that to say that I, I think this is a about a little bit more than 2019, whether you're talking about the production in general of that defense and, and maybe a, a thought that it was underachieving, not just in 2019, but throughout maybe back to 2018 as well, you know, until that uh, great performances that they had in the playoffs. But I, I think in talking to people, it's, it's mostly maybe about Sean McVay 
kind of evolving as a head coach. And and I understand this part. And to be just to be upfront about it, I don't I don't agree with the moves either. I I don't I didn't think it was time to part with Wade Phillips. The Skip Pete thing, I don't again, I don't understand. I don't I don't know why Skip Pete is any less of a coach now than he was in 2017 or 18 or 19. But the one thing I I did hear is and and I agree with this part is that Sean McVay came in in 2017 as a 30-year-old coach. He was just about to turn 31. He was he had no experience, he had no coaching tree circle whatever you want to call it. So he brought in certain guys and bringing in Wade Phillips at that point made a ton of sense. It was a very smart move uh, because he brought in the most veteran guy he could find to run that defense, basically handed over the defense to Wade and said, you know, here you go, (laughs) run with it. And and Wade did and, you know, kept a a veteran coach in Skip Pete too. So those moves made sense. And, And I think the Rams internal thought a little bit is, that Sean is a different coach now than than he was in 2017. He's had three years of experience under his belt. He's learned more about being a head coach. He's you know probably grown or gravitated in certain areas. And what he needs now from a defensive coordinator in particular maybe is a little different than what he needed three years ago. And I understand that. That When I heard that, I go, okay, that, that makes sense. We're not all the same person we were three years ago. We don't all do our jobs the same way we did three years ago. So Sean McVay is no different. And, and if you felt like he, he needs something different uh, out of his defensive coordinator, then, then I understand. Again, I still don't agree. I still don't think that necessitates uh, letting go a, a coordinator who's had m- arguably more success than anybody in the history of the NFL, and as you said, Jake, beloved by his players. Um, so there certainly wasn't a- an issue there. But I think it's maybe more about Sean and, and how he kind of wants to reshape his staff. And I get that. But I'll also put this asterisk on it before I throw it back to you, Jake, is that if he's going to do that with the defense, then I think we need to see it with the offense, too. Because as you said, you laid it out very well there. Uh, the offense, uh, the, excuse me, the defense had some some issues in, in 2019, but the offense had a lot more issues in 2019. And if he's going to look at the defensive coordinator and say, hey, how can things get better there? How can they evolve there? Well, then I hope he looks at the offensive side, too, and says, what can you know, what kind of things can be done to support the head coach? Uh, in terms of that staff. And and I don't think swapping out uh, Skip Pete for another running backs coach is the full answer there. And and frankly, I hope it's not the full answer. So it'd be very interesting to see whether or not there's further moves, further hires to kind of reshape that entire staff rather than just the defensive side of the ball. And what I think you're hinting at, Rich, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that you're suggesting maybe an offensive coordinator could come in and help Sean McVay out. And I I tend to agree with that move. I Before we heard about the Wade Phillips and the Skip Pete moves, I thought that they were going to be adding coaches, not taking coaches away, or at least replacing coaches. And I... If you looked at the way that the season went, and I agree with you, the offense needs a hard look because there were a lot of things that were wrong with this offense. And a lot of the times when the offense was poor, the defense was expected to uh, step up and um, and hold their own and carry the weight. Meanwhile, the offense never really carried their weight when the defense wasn't 
performing well. And a lot of people like to talk about, and we've brought it up a million times about the Tampa Bay game, that game, you got to kind of look at it differently because even though they did give up 55 points and the defense didn't play particularly well, or at least up to the standard that they're normally uh, playing up against, but the offense put the defense in a bad spot. So they were constantly getting bad field position for the defense and they weren't staying on the field long enough to give the defense a break and so on and so forth. And I think also if you look at the way that that the season went, and I was touching on this before, but Wade Phillips weathered the storm pretty well with all of the different moves. And Sean McVay in the offense had a little bit of a tougher time weathering that storm knowing full well that even if they even if the offensive line stayed intact the entire season in terms of health they were they were taking a a chance with Allen at center and Nopum in there on the offensive line so they already were going in with uh an unpredictable offensive line and then we saw how that played out and then there were injuries and it wasn't till the end of the season where they kind of got some consistency with the offensive line with the new additions that they had to plug in there that it started to click so it took the offense a lot longer to overcome some of the shortcomings than it did the defense right and to that point I'm glad you brought that up because I, I usually don't comment on other people's reporting, and I'm not commenting on the reporting here, but I want to bring up something that uh, Charles Robinson of of Yahoo tweeted yesterday. He had a little um, string of, of tweets about this subject, and and uh, I, I, you know, his sources are his sources, but what, what he said was very insightful, I thought, in, in itself, is that he, uh, or instructive, I should say, he said, hinted, I guess, that people should read it for themselves. I hate paraphrasing things that, that people write, but uh, so go look at, at Charles' Twitter. But he, he wrote, uh, in, in essence, that uh, Sean, in a defensive coordinator, was, was looking for someone who could kind of adjust faster. Wade Phillips' defense kind of is what it is. I mean, he, he has that mentality that, hey, we're, we're going to do what we do and, and you can try to beat us and, and you know, we'll adjust a little bit, but you essentially know what we're going to get. And uh, Charles is saying that perhaps Sean wants a little bit more versatility in terms of uh, the ability to adjust from week to week or from opponent to opponent, uh, things like that. Maybe something that's a little more modern. And I looked at that and I go, okay, that makes sense. I, I understand that. That's not a bad thing to think about. But how about the offensive side of the ball? How I mean, we just spent an entire season talking about how, you know, at the start, how slow the Rams were to adjust to that to the six one kind of fronts that they that they were shown uh, late last season into the Super Bowl. Uh, how about the fact that it took so long to identify Tyler Higby as a important part of the offense? How about uh, the sporadic use of of twelve personnel, even though it it seemed to be something that that worked for for long stretches uh, of play? So again, that's why I say, and and this is I think been my. I think I've been pretty consistent with this, even going back to the end of the season, is that if you if you want to look at Wade Phillips and say, okay, this is not the standard, this defense is not the standard that, that we want to set as a team, that's fine. That's I have no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, people say that the Rams had never had a top 10 defense under Wade Phillips. That's absolutely true. And it, you can look at it and say, given the talent that was on that team, uh, that it underperformed. I have no problem with that either. But I, what I do have a problem with is the idea that 
you know, nothing needs to change on the offensive side of the ball. And if they just make these changes on the defense, that, that everything is fine. Because I, I don't agree with that, Jake, because everything that you can say about the defense in terms of the inconsistency, in terms of the lack of adjustments, in terms of underachievement in certain areas, everything you can say about the defense in 2019, you can say about the offense equally, if not more so. So again, I'll put it, I keep saying the same thing over and over again, but I will say if, if Sean felt like it was the best thing to do to make those changes on the defensive side of the ball, I have no problem with that. But I, I hope, I hope, and, and it's still very early in the offseason, but I hope that he's taking an equal look at what was going on within that offensive coaching staff and looking at ways that it can be tweaked, improved, added to, as you said, uh, uh, and maybe bringing in a senior analyst, maybe bringing in whatever you want to call him, put any name you want on it, but somebody who maybe can come in and give some assistance. So who knows? We're very early in the offseason, but I hope that that's the accompanying move. There are also so many questions with the offense, not just from the coaching staff point of view, but personnel. I mean, we talked a little bit about the offensive line, and you outlined that pretty well in an article you just posted to The Athletic, Rich. But you've also got the Todd Gurley issue. What What's going to happen with him? Is he Is he going to be your main running back next year? Are you going to use sort of a two-headed monster approach? What What's the plan there? Are they, you know, going to, a lot of people are suggesting, well, you could trade Todd Gurley, but I don't think they're going to do that. But there are a lot of questions there. There are uh, some questions on uh, what, what what's going to happen with Brandon Cooks. Is he he going to be uh, the guy that you need him to be? They 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 recently signed him to a, a large contract. What's going on with Jared Goff? Is is the down year in 2019 an indicator of what's to come in 2020? Or is that just an outlier and he is going to be even better in 2020 or or back to form the way he was in 2018? So there are so many questions on the offense. Uh, I think even more than the defense because on the defensive side of the ball, it's just a matter of, oh, who are you going to re-sign? Are you going to, you know, make it, What what's the decision there between, uh, bringing back uh, Dante Fowler or Corey Littleton or Michael Brockers. Those are the, des- the decisions you have to make on defense is how do we keep this core intact or do we have the money in the cap space to keep a bunch of these guys? That's the biggest question for uh, for the defense. The other, the other one being, what are you going to do with Eric Weddle? So I agree with you. The offense needs to, the offense is the problem, I think. In If you want to look at the entire team of where I would put my focus, it's the offense. It's the offensive line. It's your running back. It's your quarterback. And, 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 th- and those are huge. Those are huge. And then you can take a look at, you know, what, what's going on with the defense, special teams, et cetera. But, th- but the fact that you have issues with, you know, your quarterback and your running back who you just signed to huge monster contracts, that's, that's a huge issue that, that, you know, and obviously, you know, obviously the offseason is young and we don't know what's going to happen, but I hope, like you just said, Rich, I hope that they really take a hard look at how, how not only to improve what's going on uh, personnel wise on the offense, but also the coaching staff. Right. Because this, I mean, a, a team, the Rams would probably push back against this idea, but 
let's be honest, this is an offense first team. And you can look at that not only because they hired Sean McVay, who's an offensive coach, but look at where they've spent their money. Uh, You just look at the salary cap hits. Jared Goff has the highest salary cap hit in the NFL in 2020. Todd Gurley is getting paid more than any other running back. Uh, Brandon Cooks is getting paid a ton of money. Andrew Whitworth got paid a ton of money. So you can just look at, you don't you don't need to analyze it too much. Just look at where their money's going. Their money's going to the offensive side of the ball. So if you're spending that much, and to put a, to be fair about it, most most teams do. I mean, the, the quarterback and the and the receiver and those people always get the you know big money. But nonetheless, that's where the bulk of their money is going. And so they they need that production there. Yes, you still need a good defense too. But it's pretty clear that, that the offense is always going to be the engine of, of this team, at least while Sean McVay is running it and, and this current group uh, is there. So that's where it starts. And like you just said, Jake, you, you have to have that offense going. Having an, a, a good defense is important. But if that offense isn't going, it, it really doesn't matter, and that's what kind of what we saw this year. I mean, they went nine and seven because the defense was above average, and and the offense, you know, underachieved. That's that's probably the best way to put it. That's very simplistic, but but I, I agree. It's you can make improvements to that defense, but at the end of the day, they're still going to have to get that offense back on track, and they're still going to have to answer all of those questions that that you just posed. And Jake, I'm glad you brought up Todd Gurley because we're getting that question a lot. I know I am. I'm, I'm sure you are too in terms of, you know, what they could do with him, what they should do with him, that sort of thing. And and just to just to, you know, lay it out clearly and and factually, uh to get rid of Todd Gurley after this season would not be an easy thing. You cannot cut him. Uh, because the the dead cap money would just be absolutely prohibitive. So the idea that you're just going to cut him is is not going to happen unless there's some odd, you know, section 24BA of, of the CBA that I'm not aware of. Uh, that that's not going to happen. To to trade him, we I think we talked about this uh, generally in the last podcast. You could theoretically find one of the other 31 GMs out there to to take Todd Gurley's contract. But even so, you're still retaining, under the, the rules, you're still retaining about $12.5 million of his contract. So even, even in trading him, you're only going to save about $4.7 million, and you have to replace him unless you think you're going to go ahead with Malcolm Brown and, and Daryl Henderson and maybe somebody from the draft. I don't know. So... That creates really just as many problems as it solves. So the idea that you know getting rid of of Todd Gurley is is going to be the kind of the panacea uh, for for the off season is is really not where we're where we're headed here. But uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. And look, we we are still early on. You know, this is literally just kind of the first week of the off season. So these were the first moves that were made. There could be more. There certainly could be additions made uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and uh, I, I would expect that, that that will happen. Unfortunately, we, we probably won't get a chance to, to talk to Sean McVay again uh, until the Combine, which is uh, in about a month and a half, so we don't, we don't really get a chance to, to, uh, to get in, any insight in, into what he was thinking here or exactly why he, he made those moves, but obviously he had something 
uh, in mind, and uh, I'm, I'm very curious to talk to him about it and find out what it was and, and find out if, uh, if he has other things in mind. But Jake, the, the other thing here is the Rams have to find a new defensive coordinator, um, and there's been a lot of talk, um, even going back to the, to the regular season, that there might be an internal replacement. Joe Barry, linebackers coach, his name came up pretty early on because Joe's well-respected on that staff. He's been a defensive coordinator twice previously in, in his NFL career. And Aubrey Pleasant, uh, cornerbacks coach, is another one. Uh, a younger guy, never been a defensive coordinator. Um, so that would obviously be a big, big step up. He did get uh, some interest interview with Cincinnati last year for that defensive coordinator spot. So he's clearly seen as somebody who uh, eventually will will get one of those jobs. Or there's outside guys, and you could just go outside and totally get a refresh, uh, maybe even bring in a, a new scheme, that sort of thing. So, Jake, any, any thoughts there? I, I know you you know you've spent plenty of time around this team. I know you've seen uh, you know Joe Joe Barry on the practice field, Aubrey Pleasant. We we kind of know what these guys bring, but I mean, what's your what's your kind of instinct on this in terms of maybe maintaining some continuity? Uh, or maybe just the value in bringing in a total new voice and someone who might bring some new ideas, new schemes, and that sort of thing. I see the positives both way, but but what do you what, what which way would you go? Conventional wisdom would tell you if they were going with an in-house person, they would go with Joe Barry just based on the experience. He's been coaching college and the NFL for. 20 years combined, he has been a defensive coordinator before, and he is well-respected. Um, the There was also a report yesterday that came out that he is also being interviewed by Clay Helton for the defensive coordinator position at USC, which is his alma mater, so we don't know if he'll even be back on the uh, Rams coaching staff next year if he decides that he wants to go back to USC. I really like Joe Barry a lot. He has done a really tremendous job with the linebackers uh, of the Rams. Uh, Corey Littleton, uh, most no- most notably, has thrived under Joe Barry. He's put uh, a couple of career years back-to-back, 2018 to 2019. Um, also, uh, Dante Fowler as well has really developed under Joe Barry. Um, it's He's... He's a really smart coach. So I think that if they were going to go in-house, my my take would be that they would go with Joe Barry if he's willing to take on that position. But back to my conventional wisdom, there are a lot of coaches in the NFL that are getting head coaching positions that have never been offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator at any level. Um, you saw the the breaking news that came down today that the Giants hired the Patriots wide receivers coach uh, to be their new head coach. So that would bode well for the uh, in the Aubrey Pleasant camp of things. Uh, he's uh, never been a defensive coordinator uh, at, at any level before, but he has seven years of coaching experience. He has really done a nice job uh, with the defensive backs. Um, he is is great um, when the, the Rams come out uh, 
to the field, uh, getting the guys ready to go. Uh, he's a, a motivator, and the players love him. He's younger. Uh, he's more of that Sean McVay style of sort of that uh, that younger, fit guys that are you know they that that do you know laps around the the uh, the stadium before the game starts. I, I it's it, it's always uh, uh, fascinating to watch the the coaches actually get into to physical game mode when they're you know doing laps around the stadium to get them uh, fired up for the game and, and, and in shape to, to coach the, to coach the game. So um, I, I like Aubrey Pleasant a lot. I think, I don't think the Rams could go wrong with either of those two uh, options, but I, I don't see, I've not seen anything so far to suggest, uh, you know, if they'll go outside and, and, and see if there's anybody else available that, that fits the mold that Sean McVay is looking for. Right. And you can kind of do a certain amount of reading between the lines here. Uh, the, the fact that, how should I say this? <laughs> the fact that, that Wade Phillips is, you know, dismissed or decided not to bring him back and, and a replacement is not immediately named. Now, there's, there's absolutely nothing stopping the Rams at this point from saying uh, Joe Barry is our new defensive coordinator. Or Aubrey Pleasant is our new defensive coordinator. They could do that today. They could have done it yesterday. So the fact that they haven't done that, it doesn't necessarily mean to me that they that they won't, but uh, they didn't. So it, it's an indicator. And, and I did hear also yesterday that, that outside candidates will be considered. So this is not just uh, a coronation. It's not just uh, somebody's going to get promoted automatically. They, they are going to take a, a full look at this thing. And the thing that's difficult, a, l- a little more difficult about Sean McVay is uh, because of his his age and and his you know relative laugh, lack of experience, he doesn't really have that circle or that maybe tree you would call it of coaches. A lot of times these openings when they come up, you you can kind of do the math, you know, like the the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like you can you can you can kind of go and see. All right, well he coached with him, so he's going to hire him, or he coached with him, who coached with him, so he's going to hire him. So uh, that's a lot of these openings tend tend to get hired it, it tend to happen in that way. I mean, when the Rams hired Wade Phillips, why did they do it? Well, they hired him because he was a great defensive coordinator. But Sean McVay worked with Wade's son Wes, so there was already a connection there. So these, that's how these things tend to happen. But Sean, because he hasn't been around very long, and because he was really only with one team before he joined the Rams, it's a little bit harder to figure out kind of where his eyes go or where the where his kind of circle of trust uh, is. So a little bit tougher there. Another name I would look at is Chris Richard, uh, and it looks like he's going to be kind of a free agent. Um, had Dallas's defense was not you know tremendous, but in, another youngish guy who's uh, considered a pretty good defensive mind. He's a Southern California uh, kid. He went to high school at, in Gardena. He played at USC. So obvious connection there. I'm sure would would be happy to to come home under under the right circumstances. So pretty sure his name will will at least be uh, in the mix. And then yeah, I, I think both of those guys, Jake, that we talked about, will will get a lot of consideration. Joe Barry is a guy who. Uh, I think Rams fans, when they just look at his his resume, they they get a little askew because Joe has been a defensive coordinator twice in in his career. He's been fired twice, so I think people look at that. Some people look at that and say, you know, why why you're turning to a guy who's already uh, you know failed twice? Well, 
okay, but the, the first one was in Detroit when he, he was a member of the that winless Detroit staff in uh, I think it was 2008. So that that you can bet that team had a lot more issues than than whatever Joe Barry had going on. And then uh, he was with Sean in Washington in, in 2015 and 2016. Uh, before he he got the job in uh, in L.A., so obviously there's there's a lot of trust there, and uh, same goes with Aubrey, Aubrey Pleasant. And really, I, I think it's 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 a little bit going to be uh, not a referendum, but but I really think the decision is is going to be about Aubrey. And if if they think he's ready for a job like this, uh, again, I don't, I don't he's he's not going to be an NFL cornerbacks coach. For, for a lot longer, whether it's with the Rams or, or with somebody else. So I, I think maybe that's the, the first step in all of this is, is looking at him and saying, is he ready for this job? Uh, you know, do the Rams think he's ready for this job? A, yes. B, no. And if B, then are you okay with him potentially leaving to go somewhere else where, where he will get an opportunity? Because that'll happen sooner or later. So I, I think those are probably the questions that the Rams have to answer first. Joe Barry being a little bit no, more of a known quantity. He's he's been around. You kind of you know, excuse me. <clears throat> wow. You know a little bit more what you're going to get from him if you put him in that office. Uh, Aubrey a, a little bit different. So so I think that's where the uh, the evaluations are, are going to go. Terms of timeline, uh, I'm told there there's not a, a firm one. It's not like they think they need to get this done today or tomorrow or the next week. Uh, I do think, Jake, that in terms of some of the things we're talking about, the the offseason and the potential for changes, I think it would be smart for the Rams to certainly to have it done uh, by the time they start to evaluate free agents because they're going to have to make a choice whether or not they stay with a 3-4, which is more like a 5-2, but uh, same type of thing, or uh, would they go back to a 4-3, which changes the types of defensive linemen that you might bring back or might seek uh, changes the types of both linebackers inside and outside that, that you might try to bring back. So I think that's an important decision, both in terms of free agency and the draft um, in terms of what kind of players you, you want to bring back or what kind of players you want to draft or that sort of thing. So I don't think it's a, a situation that's going to go on a whole lot longer, but certainly long enough to maybe evaluate some of these other uh, these other outside candidates. So, uh, Jake, any any predictions? Any? Uh, I I think it's it's probably ten, trending toward Joe Barry, uh, unless they are able to go out and and get somebody from the outside, like a Chris Richard, or like you mentioned, Jake, maybe some some up and comer uh, who, who you know we're not we're not even talking about right now. So, do you, do you have any uh, do you have any opinions? Do you have any predictions for us? Any bold prediction to start the off season? I don't know if it's a bold prediction to pick Joe Barry as the next defensive coordinator, but I'll tell you what I would like to see. I I am of, of the camp again to keep it as as consistent as you can. I don't think that what's wrong with this team is is necessarily the coaching. Sure, they could improve in certain areas and aspects of of how they prepare and and how they adjust it during the game and throughout the season. Sure, you can criticize 
uh, a number of the coaches for their roles and what they did this year. But I think a lot, I think a lot of it has to do with the, the players and, and getting, you know, the, the right group of guys out there and figuring out what's going on with Jared Goff and figuring out if you're ever going to get the Todd Gurley that you signed to a, a huge contract. If you're ever going to get him back again, I think that's that those are, those are bigger questions. So while you're trying to figure out those um, questions and you try to build the roster back up again, I think that's where the focus needs to be. And the more time that they spend away from that and trying to figure out who to bring in and who to replace Wade Phillips and who to replace Skip Pete with and if they're going to bring in an offensive coordinator or not, what what's going to happen there. I I I would rather I'd rather them show up the coaching now and 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 keep it as intact as possible so that they can really focus on what what they need to do to make this team a not only a playoff contending team but a Super Bowl contending team again. I, I agree 100 percent, Jake, and I'm going to use that uh, as a great way to to transition and plug a story that we just published uh, on the Athletic today about uh, how to kind of stabilize. The, the Rams offensive line, because I think we, again, we can talk about the defense all we want and we should talk about the defense, but I think we've, we've mentioned uh, going back to the start of the season when, when Vinny and I were doing this podcast, the, it was the offensive line, the offensive line, the offensive line. And we, we mentioned it. I want to say it was the very first episode we ever did of this podcast. It's, it certainly was either the first or the second that, that the line was going to be the factor in whether or not the Rams had success uh, this season or not. Now, there were other factors, and that certainly turned out to be true, but I think you can still go back at the offensive line and say that's where it started, and and really that's kind of a domino effect with a lot of the things that you're talking about and a lot of the, thing, a lot of the things on offense that, that need to be addressed this offseason. So, Jake, I tried to take a little bit of a dive into it, there, there's an interesting, I started off with the idea that the story should be how should the Rams fix their offensive line. And the more I thought about it and the more feedback I got, it's more like how do you stabilize it? Because fix implies maybe that you need to go outside and, and make changes, bring in free agents, bring in draft picks, let certain guys go. I'm not necessarily sure that's true because... By the end of the season, you've gotten a pretty good look at a lot of these young players. You've seen a lot of their strengths, a lot of their weaknesses, what they can do, what they can't do. And I, I think there's enough guys there, and we, we saw enough good things at various times to say that the pieces might all be there. It's just kind of a matter of how do you put them all together and how do you keep them together in, in kind of a stable unit. So... I'd appreciate it if, if people went on the, the website, the app, to, to check out that, that story that I wrote. So I, I won't talk too much here about what I think because I kind of laid it out in the story. But Jake, I'm, I'm going to throw it to you with this. My, my, my thesis, or whatever you would want to call it, started with the idea that Andrew Whitworth has to be retained in 2020 just because I don't think there's a good, reliable option at left tackle otherwise. And the other thing I said was I think they should look at bringing back Austin Blythe to play center uh, because of the success that he had in the second half of the season. And third, I think you have to take a long look at trading Rob Havenstein. 
not only because of the play of Bobby Evans and the potential there, but because you can save about $5 million if, if you can manage to trade Rob Havenstein. And that money certainly can be used in, in other areas. So, Jake, I don't know if, if you've had a lot of time to sit down and, and think about it, but I tried to lay it out position by position. Those were kind of my three big takeaways. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on, on you know the, the, the steps that the Rams absolutely need to take uh, to, to address that offensive line this offseason? I will say this, that before reading your article on breaking down the different uh, positions at offensive line, I was trying to wrap my head around what I thought was the top priority. And I too came up with Andrew Whitworth as being the top, top priority that the Rams need to get done this offseason. He's indicated that he wants to come back. And if you can work out the right deal, obviously not to the, uh, the money that he's used to being paid, but if you can work out the right deal, he is should be your top priority and the only option uh, to bring back at left tackle. It goes without saying. I mean, he he is a proven guy. He's a leader. The uh, young offensive linemen really respect him. He is um, a really, really solid force there. And I think that it would be different. I think we'd have, be having a different conversation if we got a better look at a guy like Joe Noteboom uh, before he had a season-ending injury um, because then then you could say, well, we have a full body of work to, to really look at Noteboom and say, well, maybe he could slide over to left tackle and take over for uh, Andrew Whitworth. And we really didn't get to see that. So without knowing what you really have in Joe Noteboom uh, as an offensive lineman, I think that keeping Whitworth there is the, the best option. Now, at center, I too believe that Austin Blythe needs to be back there. And Brian Allen is is a, is a good offensive lineman, I think, and has and has a bright uh, a bright future, but unfortunately for him, he also had a season-ending injury and it allowed the Rams to take a look at Austin Blythe at center, and I think that what a lot of the players described and certainly what coach Aaron Cromer described is this calmness at center. And I think that that is key because as we were talking about throughout the season, I think Jared Goff, not knowing what his offensive line was going to be able to do, I think he may, may have little, may have been a little, uh, nervous in the pocket wondering is it is it going to collapse on me am I going to have enough time to throw so I think that that calmness with Austin Blythe at center really helped Jared Goff to kind of maybe relax a little bit and being able and and, and allow him to read uh, his progressions a lot better and not get antsy in the pocket so I think that 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 uh, contributed to it you pointed it out in your story Rich that uh, I think what really helped this line is uh, McVeigh went back to the run, focused a little more on the run. He had Goff roll out of the pocket. Those things helped the offensive line a lot. So I think that Austin Blythe is is definitely a guy that you need to bring back at center because again, to keep to keep the offensive line intact, to keep that stability that they developed towards the end of the season is key moving into 2020. The less question marks you have, the better for this team. And we found that there were a lot of question marks throughout the entire season that never really got answered. And when they did get answered, it may have been too late. So those are some things that that I would focus on. I think that Bobby Evans should get a another shot uh, on the right side. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Rob Havenstein, who did sign uh, uh, an extension, uh, he may be the odd man out. 
it's it's tough to to say that for an offensive line that that needs depth obviously there were a lot of injuries to the line this year to to get rid of an offensive lineman may not be a wise move but i think given the production of bobby evans and also um, the lack of versatility that Havenstein brings. He's not a guy that can really move around to different positions. He's kind of uh, cemented uh, at the right tackle position. So um, that that's kind of my uh, assessment of the line. I I think that, that they've got a lot of good pieces there. Um, but ultimately, the more that they can keep those guys together, the better. Right, and and the versatility that those young guys have also is not – it's not a slap even at Brian Allen to say that they should bring back Austin Blythe because Brian Allen is a very versatile young player. He can play center. He can play guard position. So to, to say that uh, they should bring back Austin Blythe is not a, a, in any means a slap at, at Brian Allen. You, we saw this year how injuries can happen and how guys can be valuable even if they're not starters. So I, I just think that, that Austin Blythe – is again when we talk about this is the problem when you talk about those big contracts when you talk about the Todd Gurley contract or the Brandon Cooks contract and people you know talk about that being prohibitive it's it's not the top guys you you can always pay your top guys it then it starts to come down to okay you you've got Austin Blythe uh, still a young guy who made about two million dollars this year so can you afford to pay him four million dollars next year can you afford afford to pay him three or three point five, and and that's where you really start getting down to the nitty gritty when you, when you talk about those big contracts. Is that's where it affects you? Is these kind of these mid to lower guys who are still important to your team, but maybe they get priced out a little bit because so much of your salary cap is being taken up by those those top guys. So, in in, in Austin's case, in Austin Blythe's case. I, I don't think it's so much an issue of they like him, they don't like him. It's probably comes down to more, you know, can they afford to give him another two million dollars a year, or uh, at three or four years, or whatever it might be, or do they have to let him walk and and go back to Brian Allen? So that'll be a very interesting question. The other interesting question, Jake, to me is just Andrew Whitworth, and and this was what made it so hard. And and when I was trying to write this story is, is what made it so difficult is I have no idea how much Andrew Whitworth is worth right now. And I just, I try to be honest with what I know and what I don't know. I've got no idea. He's 38 years old. He's still performing at a pretty darn high level. I mean, there, there's been some, there were some consistency issues uh, this year. The, the penalties were a little striking at times, but he's 38 and he's still playing well. And what is the market there? I have no idea what the market is for for a free agent, 38-year-old left tackle who can still play. So you look at it, he his last deal that he signed was, you know, when he when he joined the Rams was basically 11 million dollars a year. Uh, I don't think at this point anybody is going to be signing him to a multi-year deal. He might get a team to give him one of those one year with a team option, uh, kind of like the the Eric Weddle type contract where it's pretty easy to get out of in, in the second season. So maybe somebody could tempt him with, with something like that. But that's to, to me, that's the big thing. I have no idea whether it's $7 million, whether it's $8 million, $9 million, uh, and, and that impacts a lot because if you can if you can bring that Whitworth number down, 
then maybe you can afford to re-sign Austin Blythe or, or something like that. So that that to me is is a big one, not only for the on-field uh, reasons of, of stabilizing your left tackle position, but also kind of stabilizing your salary structure for, for the rest of the offseason. Because to me, that's, that's the great unknown. The other guys... Littleton, Fowler, you, you can probably, if you want to estimate it, you could probably get it within you know a million or two. But but I have no idea on on Andrew Whitworth, so I'd be fascinated to see uh, uh, what they do there. So I, I think we're in agreement though that there's there's probably not a great option other than to bring Whitworth back, right? Oh, definitely. He's 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 the guy that you need to, that you need to bring back if he wants to come back. And like you said, if they can get it get that number down uh, to a reasonable amount. I think he is the guy you most definitely need to bring back. And then you look at Austin Blythe and 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 the rest of the offensive line. I really like David Edwards. Um, I really like Austin Corbett. I think those guys uh, played really well, uh, given the fact that they were kind of uh, forced into action. Um, I think they did a really nice job. Uh, Edwards had some issues with some penalties there. But um, ultimately, I think uh, th- those guys are, are really formidable. And um, I I think you just may, maybe you can look on the the free agent market to see if there are any other guys to uh, to plug in there or, or certainly to add some depth. I think the depth of the offensive line is is what we saw this year is sort of worst case scenario where literally the only person that was consistent on that line was Whitworth. I mean, everybody had injuries um, and, and there were a lot of moving parts there. So I think that that was one thing that they need to, to definitely shore up is, is, is guaranteed that they have enough guys to where if there are injuries, they can uh, quickly uh, come back from that. Yeah. Edwards is an intriguing guy to me. I'm glad you brought him up because I didn't, didn't mention him, but uh, the potential there I think is, is good. And he's also a guy who can, uh, play some different spots. So like what I saw from him in 2019, and uh, I think there's an opportunity for him to, to maybe even grow. So that'll be a guy definitely have my eye on as the uh, as the offseason progresses and we start to get into the uh, OTAs and things like that. But Jake, we are off to quite a start, aren't we? I mean, usually at the off-seasons, if, if your team doesn't make the playoffs and they don't fire their head coach, it's, it's usually a little bit boring in, in January. But that's certainly not the case. For the Rams uh, this season, so we have plenty to talk about. I uh, mentioned it uh, last week, but we will be back weekly now with our with our podcast. So certainly plenty to talk about. Before long, we'll start to get into the combine and then into free agency and then into the draft and then into OTAs. And before you know it, training camp will be here. So we are uh, excited to, to bring that to you. And uh, thank you, everybody, for, for all of your uh, support and all of your great uh, reviews and comments on iTunes and that sort of thing. And uh, certainly encourage you to subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't already. And certainly encourage you to check out CBS2 and KCAL. Jake does a ton of good work there, and so does his whole crew. Jake, anything in particular that the viewers uh, should be looking out for? Just uh, continue to tune into Sports Central every night, 1045 on uh KCAL 9 and uh, and definitely check it out on Sundays as well. Um, 
we are always doing a really nice job of uh, of covering the the different teams. We 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 have crews out at at all the the major games um, that that go on the Lakers, Clippers, uh, you name it. We're out there. Uh, we're going to continue to follow the Rams throughout the off season. Um, so be sure to to keep following me and Rich. Uh, we'll we'll keep you updated, of course, on on Twitter and uh, on this podcast. Absolutely. Please do that. Follow along with us on Twitter. Jake is at Reiner underscore Jake, R-E-I-N-E-R underscore Jake. I am at Rich underscore Hammond. We are always happy to answer questions, interact, and all the things. We still have some mailbag questions, Jake, that we didn't get to because all this stuff happened uh, this week. So we have not forgotten about those and, and we'll get back to them and excited to Talk to everyone throughout the uh, the off season. We'll be doing a lot more interactive kind of stuff. Hopefully, getting a, a guest or two to to join us. So, thank you all for all your support and for listening. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>